0: Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host.
1: I am Drew. Boom shakalaka.
0: Hello, Drew. Welcome. Welcome all. Welcome to our listeners. Welcome to each other. We're glad to have you. Uh, so just to kick it off today, we're, uh, we're going to continue our series where we're leading up to the top 25 DC comics of all time, but before that. We're going over our list of DC comics that are honorable mentions. So, you know, this is stuff that didn't quite make the cut, but we loved them enough that we wanted to talk about them nonetheless. Today's comic is going to be It's a Bird. True. you mind giving us the the bona fides on It's a Bird?
1: I don't know what bona fides means, but (laughs) I can tell you who made the comic
0: Yeah, exactly. There we go. (laughs) It's all part of the fun. Making up words.
1: (laughs) So the graphic novel we are reading today is It's a Bird by Stephen T. Siegel, Teddy Christensen, and Todd Klein. So Stephen T. Siegel was the writer, Teddy Christensen was the artist, and Todd Klein was the letterer. This was a graphic novel originally published in May 2004 by Vertigo Comics, an imprint of DC. When I say it's a graphic novel, I mean that it was not originally serialized as single issues. This came out as a hardback, a 100-something page hardback. It's still in print now, I believe. It was recently reprinted with a new cover, maybe in 2017. So it's not super difficult to find, even though it's almost 20 years old at this point.
0: Mm, that's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll go into it in a little bit, but uh, it's not a comic that, I mean, it's it's a very good comic, that's for sure. But it's not something that I like think of too often, uh, or really see on too many lists. So uh, you know, to to hear that they still reprint it today, that's uh, that's impressive. well,
1: not today, 2017.
0: Oh, as of twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah, but well, I think
1: it's still available. I don't okay, think okay, it's. Okay. I don't think it should be super hard to find. It's it's still available on on Amazon. So yeah, you could always check there or go to your local comic book store. I'm sure a lot of used bookstores could have yeah, a copy yeah, in, yeah. in their in their comic section.
0: I, I think if you know the trend of how we do things on this podcast, we, it's it's fair to say that this is a comic that is very high quality, but there's a chance that it's pretty ignored, mostly by almost everyone, or by by huge swaths of the population or the community. So yeah. uh, unfortunately, it means that. Well, fortunately for you, if you're listening to us, you you'll have the chance to get easy access to it and to read it. So you know, mm-hmm. take our word for it. Um,
1: you want to give the people a brief synopsis of the comic?
0: Sure. Well, let me let me jump right in. <clears throat> so it's it's a story about a it's a semi autobiographical story about the author himself, Stephen Um and it's really Stephen T. Seagal. T. Seagal, not <laughs> to be confused with the martial artist Stephen Seagal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, different people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you see, after a brief stint of doing Under Siege Two, he was burnt out from doing movies, and he decided to uh, enter the foire of comics. He is—he's a multi-talented man. <laughs> but Did anyway, you say soiree, foire, foire? foire. I think that's What language is this? It. <laughs> Look it up. It's a word. <laughs> All right, all right. Go uh, on, go on. Anyways, so it's we start off with a um a brief uh flashback of a young Stephen Seagal as a child in a hospital as he as he witnesses the death of his grandmother and
1: oh, uh we should probably clarify that this is a semi-autobiographical comic.
0: Yeah, I said that at the top of it. Oh, okay. I yeah. guess I
1: forgot because I was thrown off by uh, what you said earlier. My bad. You were
0: caught up by foray. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, but so it's it's uh it's based on elements of his life, and you know it might not be a hundred percent accurate, but I think the emotional core of it is pretty true to um his real feelings and uh, the spirit of the things that actually happened in his life. So. It, you know, it opens with uh, a, a memory that he had as a child of his grandmother dying and the uh, the hushed secrets of everyone in the community and uh, his family members uh, surrounding the debilitating disease that caused the death of his grandmother. And uh, this memory is heavily tied into his first memory of Superman because, you know, while they were at the hospital, attending to his grandmother, one of his memories is that his, uh, I believe his father or, or some family member gave him his first Superman comic, uh, jumped to the present day. And he, Steven Siegel, T. Siegel, is now uh, a writer and you know, working in comics. And he gets offered the greatest news of all time. Uh, well, what most people would presume is the greatest news of all time, which is he has the opportunity to work on Superman, one of the biggest names and titles in the world. You know, um, and, you know, as he states in the book, not commercially, you you, you shouldn't look at the commercial numbers, but, you know, the, the brand of Superman, the name of Superman is one of the biggest in the world. Uh, but that being said, uh, getting offered this position and this chance to write Superman, he it awakens all these memories in him and he begins to relive um his anxiety regarding uh the disease that killed his grandmother and it begins to uh it begins to manifest itself as uh his own concern towards um, his own well-being and his future as he gets as 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 he gets older because he he begins to worry about whether this disease is going to eventually take a hold of him. So, you know, the him as a writer, wanting uh, him as a writer being offered Superman just uh, takes him on this journey where <clears throat> he explores the idea of Superman, but at the same time, he's incapable of finding a way of writing about Superman because it, one, touches this nerve of this traumatic memory from his childhood, but it also conflicts with his personal feelings on the idea of this being of Superman who's almost perfect um, and how it conflicts with his feelings towards more mortality and the fact that this disease that, uh, that looms over him is, uh, is quite the opposite of what, you know, Superman's power is, which is it's, it's a disease that makes you completely weak and, uh yeah, the opposite of Superman. But in addition to that, um, uh, you know, while he's dealing with trying to figure out how to whether he wants to write Superman or not, it turns out his father goes missing and he's on this search for his father as well. So, you know, that's that's the overall general story of what happens in it's a bird. It's just this emotional journey that he goes on where Superman is kind of the framing device that uh he uses to work out his feelings about uh, this potentially debilita- debilitating disease that is passed down through his genetics. Mm-hmm. How'd that sound?
1: Yeah, that was more detailed than I was expecting, but that's a good uh, summary of what this book is about.
0: Oh, okay, thanks. And uh, you know, if I'm missing anything, feel free to fill in the blanks. But Otherwise we can uh, you know we can move and talk about you know the creative people behind it and you know what our experiences with our uh with them are or is are. are.
1: What our experiences are <laughs> with what them. our experiences is <laughs>
0: <laughs> what our experiences am <laughs> uh it's it's appropriate that I talk that way because Bizarro is a Superman character.
1: <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so let's let's go start off with that. I mean, do you what are you what are your first experiences with any of the uh any of the people that you listed in the credentials? Um, you know, anything that the jumps credits. out at you? the credits, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, let's start with the writer then, Stephen T. Siegel. Mm-hmm. So Just a little bit of background on him. He's probably best known now as a member of Man of Action Studios, along with Duncan Rouleau, Joe Casey, and Joe Kelly. So they do a lot of uh, TV and and movie production stuff. Mm -hmm. Probably recognize their work from a lot of animated series. They did a lot of the Marvel cartoons of the past decade. Uh, their biggest hit is probably Ben 10. Mm-hmm. I've I've never really watched their cartoons, but uh, from what I know about them, this is the thing that you know keeps keeps the bread flowing on the table, and yeah, uh, they're able to do comics that they want to do without being worried about uh you know money yeah uh, so- to sustain them because they already have successful a successful company um, as you know their full-time job. Yeah, like I'm. I'm a big Joe Casey fan, so probably talked about this on the podcast before. But I, I imagine it's pretty similar with Stephen T. Siegel. And just looking at his recent credits, he hasn't done a ton of comics, but he does still do comics here and there. And I I'm guessing that he's just doing the kind of stuff that interests him. You know, like th- the projects that he truly cares for. He's not He's not hustling trying to get a job at Marvel because he needs it, you know? Yeah. He's already yeah. got other stuff going on. Yeah. I was but gonna as, mention- Oh, that, yeah, go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, like Ben 10 is kind of a mini empire unto itself because it, it actually got mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the, they had the original run on the series, then there was a reboot and even some, you know, straight to TV live action movies. So it's it's definitely a pretty big hit for these guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's all I was going to say. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was going to uh, continue talking about some of Siegel's uh, comics works. The thing that uh, I most remember him for is probably his Sandman Mystery Theater. That's my favorite comics that he wrote. And we'll probably at some point talk about that series one day as well. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, other comics of his that I've read he did one of his early works actually from from his from the 80s maybe it's even his first comic but there's a comic called Kafka that he did with Stefano Gaudiano I, I've I read that a bunch of years ago and I still have my copy of it it's probably time for a reread from what I remember that was kind of this crime noir story before crime stories were were pretty big but uh I, I could be misremembering i again it's been a long time since i've read that one uh, He he's done a bunch of stuff for uh your marvel and dcs so he had a run on x-men mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned that this book is about him it's a semi-autobiographical look about him getting a job writing superman comics which he actually did do so you know that's based yeah. on truth he, he had a stint on superman uh you know, different short stories with various Marvel and DC characters here and there. Uh, another long-running series he did for Vertigo was House of Secrets, which was drawn mostly by Teddy Christensen. And uh, another Vertigo series that I remember from the mid-2000s was American Virgin. Uh Yeah, those are probably the ones that, that stand out in terms of his bibliography. But uh yeah, he's got... Quite a few comics under his credits. Have you read any of his stuff or much of his stuff?
0: Oh, yeah, so if I had to be perfectly honest, um, it's a bird is probably the the first and up until last year, maybe the only thing that I'd read from him, um, maybe not up until last year, maybe up until a couple of years ago, because I I think the first time I'd ever come across uh, its bird was uh, I was I want to say yeah I was in college at the time and I was just at the library and I think I was I think I was just in the mood for something different you know and yeah I I happened upon this one book. And I didn't know who, who, who any of the creative people behind it were. And I didn't really, uh, I'd never heard of them before, but the art was different enough and interesting enough where I just decided, you know what, I, I'll just give this a read. And I think it was one of those things where, yeah, I was at the library and I just started reading it and I just read it all the way through. Cause it's, it's not especially long, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely captivated me enough where I sat through it and uh, just kind of consumed it in one sitting so uh, it's it's a you know uh, a very good book, but uh Stephen T. Siegel, up until last year when I finally read sandman mystery theater he he's not a name that I saw too often in comics um, I, I, like I would see him here and there, but it's just not I just never read any of his stuff um, I think yeah. a couple of years ago I did find. I didn't find all of his house of secrets but i found like enough of it maybe like 10 or 12 issues something like that and yeah like,
1: probably found about half of it in dollar bin
0: yeah 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 and i i did read some of those uh but unfortunately like i just i didn't really want to track down the rest of it so i think i just read what i read uh, just to get a taste for it and you know Decided in my mind whether I would track down the rest of it or not, and I'll probably try to read all of it at some point in the future. But that's that's really my experience with any one of any any of the uh, people on on uh, any of the creators of, of It's a Bird. Um, yeah, it's it's weird that it feels to me like I, I for the longest time that was the only thing that I had read from them
1: okay so you haven't read too much teddy Christensen either Uh uh-uh yeah it's um
0: and yeah and it wasn't up until last year that i did read sandman mystery theater like I, i always knew that was kind of uh one of the bigger names in like vertigo's library like you know they in the heyday of vertigo when they were at their peak they were just you know it was one of the
1: original out. Vertigo books.
0: Yeah, but they were just putting out hit after hit. So it almost felt like you couldn't throw a rock without hitting something that was just fantastic from Vertigo. And that was one of the, I guess, the empty spaces in my Vertigo reading experience that I just never really got to. Um, yeah, well, uh, I, I will say we did find, I I think I found... Almost all, all of it. No, I, no, you. I think you found all of Sandman Mystery Theater at the Green Apple for like three bucks a pop or something like that. <laughs> and then you uh, gifted them to me.
1: Yeah, at least the trades that they did publish because they never actually exactly. published the entire series as, as trades. Exactly. They, they quit in the middle of it.
0: And then it became a journey to collect the issues that weren't. Yeah, collected. <laughs> to
1: get the last 20 issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So.
0: What about you, Drew? What What's your experience with uh, any of the any of the writing or the artist? Well, or...
1: yeah, i um, let's just stick with, sticking with uh, Stephen T. Siegel here for a minute. Uh, definitely, Sam and Mystery Theater was the first stuff of his that I read that I consciously recognize uh, his his name on it. I think when I was younger, I most likely read some of his X Men from the late 90s, but nothing about them was really memorable even to this day you know we we still come across some of those random issues here and there in in bargain bins but it's never really anything that makes you wanna try and collect a set and read the whole thing start to end or anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and be- because of Sandman mystery theater though I, I did read uh some other stuff of his as I whenever i would come across it like i remember reading some issues of the crusades which was another vertigo series i was never able to find all of it but i remember finding a couple issues of that the first few issues of that in a quarter bin at some point and i appreciated that american virgin which was a vertigo series from the mid-2000s i read parts of it but i, I think i dropped it because uh i just lost interest in it or it it wasn't really to my to my taste Mm, mm. um oh yeah some alpha flight i remember he wrote some alpha flight comics in the late 90s those weren't those weren't (laughs) too memorable either i i just bought a couple of those uh from quarter bins you know over the over the years and uh they didn't really stand out too much you know just kind of typical late 90s marvel comics i guess yeah yeah but for me if if i think if I'm looking at his best work it it would probably be sandman mystery theater like i I think that's truly spectacular work i would mm. I would tell people to start with that even though it's probably not the easiest thing to find because d c never collected all of it in trade yeah. paperbacks yeah but it's it's worth looking up if you like socially conscious period crime pieces like it takes place in the 40s it's about the original golden age sandman doing you know crime busting sleuthing kind of stuff but it's also written in a way where even though he's dealing with all of these grotesque crimes of of that time period there's a lot of social commentary that was still relevant in the 90s and even today because human nature hasn't changed all that much you know yeah I think that's yeah. what makes it a great piece of work.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it really does feel like they took that era and I hate using this term because it's kind of thrown around a lot with a with a lot of comics. But it, it, I guess it makes it aesthetically more contemporary. I was gonna say it makes it more real, but I'm I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes it. Uh, aesthetically more contemporary with uh modern tastes so you know even though the sl- some of the slang might be dated or some of the uh, uh tropes or whatever like for the most part
1: it feels uh if the slang is dated it's because it's intentionally dated yeah, because yeah, that's exactly. how people yeah. it's meant exactly. to emulate how people talked in exactly in the pre-world exactly. war ii yeah, yeah era
0: yeah exactly so it's it's purposeful in in what it does but it's not uh but it overall it still feels like it's very true to how people would really behave and act you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's not like watching leave it to beaver and going what is this you know <laughs> is this <laughs> yeah. how people really were back then in the you know whatever in the 40s or 50s or whatever Maybe yeah 60s. i don't i don't remember when that show came out <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyways
1: So moving on to Teddy Christensen, he's somebody whose work I also came across because of Sandman Mystery Theater. And it's not because he drew any issues of Sandman Mystery Theater, but there was a one-shot called Sandman Midnight Theater that was a crossover between Neil Gaiman's Sandman and the Sandman Mystery Theater series. It was a one-shot that was co-written by... Matt Wagner, who was writing Sandman Mystery Theater at the time, or he was co-writing it with Stephen T. Siegel. And uh, Neil Gaiman also co-wrote that one shot. But that's that was the thing where I think I've, I really noticed Teddy Christensen's work. I know he also did an issue of Sandman itself in the final story, the final story arc, The Kindly Ones. Actually, I guess that's the second to the last story, right? Because The Wake is the last volume. But... He did an issue of The Kindly Ones, which was the super long story in Sandman. I I think that one was like over a year's worth of issues. And he did like one of those issues. Even though I don't specifically remember what happened in that one issue that he did. I I do remember the name just because I'm the kind of person that collects the names on credits of comics just to figure out who does what. Right, right. Uh, He also did a Grendel comic called it was grendel tales and which was an anthology series and his story was called four devils one hell i want to say james robinson wrote that one but i I could be wrong i just know that teddy christensen drew that one and that that was a pretty good comic too Mm. um we already mentioned house of secrets that he did with Stephen t siegel yeah other than that the the one thing of his that I know I definitely own in my collection is his issue of solo. He did solo number eight solo was the series that DC did in the mid two thousands where various artists would get an entire issue to themselves and they could do whatever they want for, you know, 40 something pages. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's a good piece of work to look up solo number eight for the Teddy Christensen issue. And then yeah, Todd Klein was the letterer of the comic and obviously he's, The legend, guy who's won the most Eisner Awards ever, probably, you know, for good reason. And when you look at this particular comic, you can see all the different typefaces that he uses and how each of them contribute to the style and mood and tone of what's going on in the page. I mean, he's pretty much a legend. And I I think most of the time, if you see Todd Klein's name on a comic, it'll at least be interesting to read, you know? if not yeah. great yeah 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 i'm not i'm not really someone who uh you're not a lettering nerd albert
0: that's what you are yeah i'm not <laughs> i was <laughs> i was going to say i'm not even really too uh too deep into all of the minutia or uh the the nuance of comics beyond the writer and the artist behind it so um you know but based on your recommendation that it's definitely something i'll he's definitely a name that i would pay more attention to yeah
1: i mean just look at how many eisner awards he's won he he kind of dominated the field there like every time there was an eisner for best letterer he almost always wins yeah
0: yeah well that sounds cool
1: Mm -hmm. so what was your you said your first experience with it's a bird was when you were in college and you were trying to find something different to read. Do you remember what your initial impression was back then? And how does that compare to rereading it today for our podcast?
0: I mean, the funny thing is I read it back then. And although I enjoyed it and I thought it was a good piece of work, I, all these years later, I forgot what it was really about. <laughs> like I, I mean, I think I had the general outline for what it was, but a lot of the, the larger beats were pretty vague to me in my memory. And uh, you know, in the build up to doing this particular podcast episode, I actually read it I wanna say like a couple of months ago. So <laughs> you would think that it'd be more fresh in my mind in preparation for this week's episode but I actually had to reread it again because and this is not a testament to like the quality of the work at all because every time I finish reading it like I do get the sense that this is a a very good quality like it's a prestige kind of book you know almost almost like an indie art house kind of book and Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, but for whatever reason, uh, the the larger details and story elements about it are always just kind of elude me as time goes on. Um,
1: it's probably just because we're getting old. When you get older, I, yeah. you start forgetting things.
0: Yeah, I I think that's definitely part of it. But like I said, like you know, even when I read it in college, shortly thereafter, I didn't really super remember it. I just remembered, you know, that it was about him dealing with. Uh, this sickness and you know just kind of the emotional beats of the journey but um, I think part of it might just be my attention span Uh, you know this isn't really the kind of book that is based on spectacle so you know it's not like a lot of comics that I read where I'm watching you know Batman punch Superman in the face or something or or Mm -hmm. you know uh, watching the Hulk like beat up the X Men or something like that, where it's it's not the type of thing where it's like, oh man, do you remember that scene that was so cool that he, you know, he hit Clorius in the head with a tank or something. Clorius, uh, yeah, man. Clorius, uh, he's made out of organic metal. Chlorious.
1: <laughs> Nobody knows what the heck you're talking about except for me. I know.
0: Uh, well, I mean, if if they're just paying attention to this podcast, if, if they just jumped in right at this part, they might think that I'm just having a seizure, which <laughs> yeah. would be pretty apropos of the topic that we're discussing. <laughs>
1: Dang. <laughs> you turned it into a joke. <laughs> uh,
0: it's gallows humor. It's, uh, you know, we're yeah, allowed to have can. some dark humor. Uh, but, but yeah, um, it's. Yeah, it's definitely not the type of thing where I can sit there and be like, oh, yeah, do you remember that scene in it where, you know, he he had to, he was faced with the fact that uh, his girlfriend might want to have a child and the daunting uh, reality that, you know, if he has a child with this woman, he may pass down whatever debilitating disease he has in his blood and how much Hesitance that leaves him with that's it's not really that kind of a a book, you know.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I could see that.
0: Yeah, but yeah, that's um, I don't know. Like what 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 made it so that you wanted to pick up this book? Uh, like, do you remember the, your first time seeing *It's a Bird* and what your thoughts were?
1: Yeah, I think. Just seeing Stephen T. Siegel's name on it uh, okay. was enough to sell me on it. Okay. And because it was a Vertigo comic, I just trusted. You know, Karen yeah, Berger yeah. was editing the the line, so I just figured, yeah, it it can't be bad. You know, like even if it even if I don't love it, it'll yeah. be worth my time just to read it.
0: See, I think that's very telling of our two like attitudes towards comic, because you're just, you know. Uh, almost an academic about the whole thing. So you tend to uh, like keep up with names, and you know, you you fastidiously uh, study all of these, and you know, when something comes out, you're you're pretty on top of it. Whereas with me, it's it's almost like just walking into like I I basically force gumped my way into it. You know, it's kind of like, hey, what's this? We <laughs> saw it at the
1: library, and yeah, it interested I mean, you. That's good enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. I can't say that for a lot of things you know yeah um, i think most people would walk into the library and be like what's this hey greg boo drew batman
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think just the way that i consume my entertainment i tend to find people that whose work I have enjoyed in the past and once I yeah realize that something that something in their work resonates with me I try to seek out all the other stuff that they do to see if it'll continue to resonate with me and that's why yeah I I generally follow creators more than I follow characters I would even say uh, you know like concepts or or different pitches on series don't really matter as much to me as much as who's making it
0: yeah yeah i will say that that approach has um it's less likely
1: to disappoint you
0: oh yeah that's definitely true and you know knowing you for as long as i've known you it's something that has caught on with me so i definitely at the very least i pay attention to writers more uh now I'm, i'm i recognize more names than i did in my youth so yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The first time I read this comic, I think it it was something that struck me at the time also just because it was like you like you were saying earlier, it was different, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was also I was in college when it came out too, and I think because I was so heavily into superhero comics at the time I spent a lot of time thinking about superheroes and I you know I would spend a lot of time thinking about what makes Batman or Superman or Spider-Man special like what are the core fundamental mm-hmm. elements that that make them work and make them yeah. interesting like what are the absolute ne- necessary ingredients you need to tell a story about those yeah. characters you know those kind of questions yeah. You know, trying to figure out exactly what makes them tick. What makes and
0: Superman different from mm-hmm. any other run-of-the-mill
1: Superman? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not just different, not, but, but special. Yeah. Like, why yeah. is this a character that, that still matters today? And even yeah. back then, you know, even back in 2004, there were a lot of people who just thought Superman was lame, he was old-fashioned, Yeah. or unrealistic or that it was impossible to do a good story with him because he was too powerful or just a that lot of people they found it, like he was a relic yeah a relic of the past because there's no such thing as somebody who's that good
0: yeah i mean and we're not even talking about good in terms of like power set either like there was also this idea that there's no way that anyone that morally good or, or that that like talented would be that morally good either you know yeah like, yeah. we we had just come out of the like 90s and 1000s and era where one of the cornerstones of those comics that came out of that era was this idea of like flawed characters mm-hmm. and um you know so superman definitely didn't vibe with that there was no it it definitely wouldn't have worked to try to cram superman through the prism of that kind of a story and that's exactly why superman is special in that way right because you try to tell a story with superman where it's like okay we're gonna get him addicted to cocaine because you know (laughs) everyone's that's that's kind of what everyone's doing right now like we're we're exploring their human flaws and the thing if that's what the readers want then we have to you know he has to get addicted to cocaine almost kill someone and then he has to deal with the the pain and the hurt and the trauma of that, and that's yeah. the drama that we're gonna feed on. That's that's gonna be the Superman for the 21st century or whatever. That's real. <laughs> yeah, that's real, quote unquote. But it's not.
1: Yeah. Or even something like, let's have Superman kill the bad guys. Yeah. Him just arresting people means they're gonna go to jail, and then it's a revolving door. He'll come yeah. out and hurt more people. So what good is he? You know, just questions like that, where I, th- I think even today people still have thoughts like that yeah but at the time because i was younger like i was still wondering similar thoughts and trying to figure out what it was about superman that that would make him matter Mm -hmm. so i think reading this comic because it deals not only with steven's experience with huntington's disease but also with his experience as a writer of comic books and it's his exploration of Superman, and what does Superman matter today? That whole thing that whole journey was something that I glommed onto, and I think seeing it play out on the page with various scenes where you have pages that are essentially like not exactly essays but they're they're presented in like in this really thoughtful, poignant manner where you have like a page that deals with. His thoughts on Superman, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a, a specific attribute or element of the Superman character or mythos. And him trying to like work out what the significance of that is in fiction, as well as any kind of subtext that pertains to real substantial human emotion. And I, yeah. I always thought that was something that stood out and made this worthwhile to read and reread. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's... Yeah something i enjoyed quite a bit and like you said earlier the it just looks different you know the artwork is yeah. so different there is there aren't too many other comics that look like this and certainly even fewer comics that look like this coming out from DC or Marvel yeah yeah it's not it's not a commercial style
0: yeah i mean if we can describe it a little like it it looks almost sketchy it's not hyper detailed it's really simplistic you know but there's still uh, a depth to it like um yeah the everything feels pretty flat there there isn't a lot of depth to it but just the placement and the position of everything uh really communicates a lot you know and it's still very beautiful albeit i don't know if abstract is the right word but
1: i think there are definitely points where it becomes fairly abstract he Teddy yeah. Christensen uses multiple styles in drawing this, and I yeah. in the at the very back of the book when he's listing his little biography or his personal uh, you know creator bio at the back of the book, yeah, uh, he mentions he acknowledges some of the years it took him to paint this story in twenty one distinctly different styles.
0: Yeah. Whoa. You know.
1: That's nuts. Yeah. yeah, and I I didn't count all of the different styles, but. 21 yeah that sounds about right because there are a lot of different styles used in this book and some of the styles are subtly different from each other some of them are you know blatantly obviously a different style and it's it's all done in this painterly with this painterly quality to it yeah yeah uh and and even though i think the final result it makes it makes some stuff look fairly simple i think the layouts and the thought process behind producing these pages, that was probably a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess since we've like broached the topic a little, that that could be a good way for us to jump onto the, you know, topic of the craft of the comic, unless. Yeah. You, yeah. Let's talk about, uh,
1: over. yeah, let's talk about that. So as our listeners who've been listening to us for a while may know, when we do our, top 25 we have criteria so the same criteria we used for the marvel top 25 we did when we launched our podcast we're we're still applying that to our dc top 25 and even though this is an honorable mention uh, we're still going to apply our four criteria and just to summarize what they are we have craft originality impact and withstanding the test of time so those are the four things that we graded all of the comics that we read to try and determine what would make our final list. So this is not a list of merely our favorites or things that we just really like, but we, we tried to apply some criteria so there's a little bit more logic beyond, I really like this thing. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. We want to be able to uh, detail it out to
0: you the listener so that you you can understand that you know we did put some thought into it
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so let's go ahead and talk about the craft so when we say craft is one of the criteria what we're really asking is is the comic technically sound is it well written is it well illustrated and did the creators demonstrate mastery of the language and form of comics
0: yeah and uh, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, in terms of the skill that went into making the book, into the you know the craft of it, it's it's obvious that a lot of care was put into it. And you you mentioned earlier that uh, Christensen uh, used what twenty one different art mm-hmm. styles in the telling of this story. Mm-hmm. You know? So there there might be people who look at this some of the art and because of the simplicity of some of it because it's not, you know, hyper detailed like i mentioned it they might it might be very easy for them to be dismissive about it and it's maybe that's an aesthetic thing um you know if 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 you like a bunch of cross hatching if you like uh dudes with big muscles then this isn't for you <laughs> But
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's certainly a big difference in aesthetics in terms of comparing yeah. what comic book like superhero readers like to read exactly. and what people who like to read other types of comics, you know? Because this is more yeah. along the lines of your alternative or independent comics, you know, stuff yeah. that you could see from a drawn-in quarterly or a fancy yeah, yeah, graphics, yeah, yeah. you know? Like people who read literary comics could appreciate I, this art.
0: I was going to say, yeah, the, this is more along the lines of like art art I'd I'd say as opposed to I think Teddy
1: Christensen does have a background in fine art.
0: Yeah, see, so it's it's the sort of thing where you can look at this from the perspective of um I don't know, would you consider some of this like postmodern or no? The art? Uh yeah.
1: I don't think I know enough about postmodern art. Okay. But okay. I, when I think of postmodern art, I think of uh, I forget the dude's name, but you know the guy who just like takes buckets of paint and just splashes it on a canvas. Oh, Jackson Pollock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I think yeah. of. He's postmodernist, okay. right?
0: Uh, he might be some something like some other sub uh subcategory of art, but I I forget exactly.
1: Oh, like okay. I'd have to look it up.
0: Yeah, but but yeah i mean it's still it's it's not art that's defined by things looking exactly it's not trying to capture the realism of things is what i'm trying to say yeah. so it's um it's an art style that's defined by like mood and its ability to be evocative and uh being able to communicate through other less tangible qualities you know so mm-hmm. instead of drawing a picture of an apple that looks like an apple it's and again this might be kind of high minded and and again if that's not your thing then there's not really much that i can say to that but you know it's something like what what's the idea of an apple look like you know how do you communicate what the 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 spirit or the concept of an apple is without drawing an actual apple things like that you know Oh. I don't know
1: if I would go that far because his people still look like people.
0: That's true, but I'm uh, I'm looking at this one scene where they talk about the costumes, right? Uh so okay, that's that's one there, of There there are
1: definitely certain parts where it veers into abstract expressionism. Yeah. Like if you're thinking about that costume scene, I'm let's look at page 14. Yeah. Like that that's a page that whole sequence is something where the people don't necessarily look like real people, they look more like mannequins. Shapes. Yeah. yeah, they're just shaped. They're geometric and- shapes in the mm-hmm.
0: forms of people. Yeah. You know, pretty faceless, and but it still communicates.
1: Yeah, it's not confusing it's not- or anything. You yeah, can still follow that's it.
0: that's true. That's true. It's not confusing. And I do think that for a section that focuses on the costume of Superman, looking at it through that lens it really does focus on the costume of superman even though you're not looking at the people right mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah like i i i want to go back to your mention of someone like jackson pollock right um another name that i was thinking of was like uh pablo picasso and i think a lot of people tend to look at them and uh you know some of their works where they're like oh i don't know what this is i don't know what i'm looking at and it's kind of meaningless and maybe they just got here from hype or whatever right but a lot of those kinds of artists did come from pretty strong technical backgrounds and uh i I'm, i can't speak too much for jackson pollock but i know like with pablo picasso it was kind of this thing where he had done painting like traditional conventional painting for so long that um he wanted to push himself to certain boundaries beyond uh you know conventional painting and he began to explore these other ideas so my point being that um yeah i i don't if 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 you look at the art in this comic and you tell yourself. He doesn't know how to draw like i i think that's severely misreading uh his talents you know because yeah i do i do think he's more than a competent artist but these are stylistic choices this is something that he's doing on purpose for you know whether it's again to test his limitations or for the sake of expressionism um
1: yeah like another good example yeah. of that abstract style coming into play is on uh pages 67 and 68 when there's a little sequence about basically the the concept of a secret identity clark kent as superman and the way that he draws clark and the way he draws other people in the scene it's it's very abstract again it just goes to shapes and splashes of color but yeah it's still at that point where when you glance at it, you can still tell that you're looking at a figure, you're looking at a person, yeah, so there's nothing nothing too confusing about it, but definitely compared to any other Superman comic, it's different, you know, <laughs> like you're not you don't really see this kind of drawing in normal cape comics,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, for sure i mean there's and again, there's just so many different styles going on uh here that. I think that in and of itself is a testament to his flexibility and talent as an artist, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I don't know if he can draw in an image house style, but I'd be curious to see what his version of image house style looks like.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm sure you could do that. It would be funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, Regarding his art, I I do think that it's just a magical combination of the artwork doing the hard work of conveying a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's very rare to see a collaborative project where you have a separate artist and a separate writer, you know, two individual people, and yet they are working in sync so perfectly. You know, this is I feel like that's pretty rare. Like you, we often talk about good pairings of writers and artists, and you know, for the most part, uh, I think a lot of our favorites you know, they obviously work well. They, they do good stuff together. But I, I felt like with this comic, because there were so many different styles going on, yeah. it really felt like it went extra, sense. you know, like there's there's like a, an extra level or or a, an extra gear that they, that they uh, reached just to pull this off because I don't know what the script called for in a lot of these scenes. I don't know if, Steven T. Siegel wrote in his script, hey, let's make this scene about the costume look kind of like this, where people just look like mannequins or something. You know, like, I'd be interested in in the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff to see what his script looked like. Mm -hmm. Or is this one of those situations where Christensen read the script and he decided, you know what would really fit this scene and change the, not change, but really uh, enhance the mood of this sequence about the costume. What if I yeah. draw it like this? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's the kind of stuff that that's happening all throughout this entire graphic novel. It makes it so much better than just drawing it straight up. You know, like it's yeah, it just adds a lot of depth to it, to the work. And again, the mood and tone, the added textures to the story. It, it's not just pictures that we're looking at, but it's actually artwork telling the story because when you yeah. see that uh sequence let's again going back to our original example of that sequence with with the costume when you see that presented in that fashion it affects the way that you read it yeah and yeah yeah exactly and and with, the without that any
0: other artist, it'd be it could fall completely flat but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um it it just feels like the perfect synthesis of you know Stephen T. Siegel's writing, with the the perfect kind of art to uh, communicate the complexities of all of the things that he's going through. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really and, clever stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's it's it it really does feel like again uh, like you were mentioning earlier, like in a lot of cases, you know, I'm sure that the artist and the writer do a good job working together but it definitely feels like uh Christiansen's contribution here is more than than your typical uh artist uh yeah. because it, it i don't know if i had to guess i'd say that he probably had more input and a more collaborative uh um relationship in in making this than.
1: Yeah, he wasn't. You know. He wasn't just some guy. Yeah, assigned fed to. Notes. Ex- yeah, exactly. Like he, yeah. it 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 really feels more than just some work for hire thing. if yeah. It feels more like something that he he cared about, you know. Yeah. And I I think that passion, just comes through the page. Yeah. Like why why else would somebody spend so much time drawing? 21 different styles in a single exactly. book that's only 120 something pages you know that exactly that's a lot of work like some of those styles yeah. only appear for like one page so to develop something that distinct that's yeah that's going an extra mile right there i think like that's not yeah. that's not normal in comics when when people do stuff like that it's experimental it's it's something that's worth applauding you know like you gotta respect the craftsmanship there and the the dedication to doing the very best imaginative work that he possibly could have for sure and it's it's a thing where we're accustomed
0: in comics to to wanting more on some level where uh you know a good writer and a good artist work together and I think ideally speaking, well I'm not going to speak for you, but uh I, I it feels like No, 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 you
1: should speak for me. <laughs> and well, if I don't agree with it, then we can have an argument on air.
0: Uh no, I'm not going to do that. That's a uh, that would be counterproductive. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say like in you know, ideally speaking, you know, uh in a perfect world, you get a, a really long run that does really well, and you know you you get as much story as you can out of it, right? But this being something that's only one hundred twenty six pages and not something where we get a sequel or whatever it's it almost feels like by not having that much to do and by it being uh it was you said it was an o g n right or
1: yeah, it was an yeah. original graphic novel, so I mean it, it wasn't yeah. serialized.
0: Yeah, so by being an OGN, it's it's almost like okay, we're we're gonna give you 126 pages to do what you're gonna do, and th- that care, that level of care, really comes through, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I do think this is an example where less is definitely more.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. The yeah. other thing uh, that I want to mention is Stephen T. Siegel's writing, because he's no Slash either. Uh, it's It's not just the art that makes the story, but I would say Siegel's plot is engaging from the fear of Huntington's disease to the struggle of writing a Superman comic and the search for his father, especially towards the latter portion of the book. like all of those elements are juxtaposed with poignant examinations of various traits of the Superman character, such as justice or the fact that he's an alien and various other things as well so it's it's something it's a very clever construction for a story and i would also say that the prose that he writes is quite witty and occasionally even reaches poetic heights
0: yeah yeah for sure um i really do like the fact that they deconstruct the idea of superman but use each of the various aspects that they examine as a means of examining uh Stephen's own uh I guess world view in, in mm-hmm. light of uh everything that he's dealing with with hunting to disease you know yeah totally so it's, it's a really clever way of structuring your story i i, I was really into that yeah
1: culture. yeah i also think that the fact that the plot is about him uh, dealing with Huntington's and also dealing with writing a comic about Superman and also dealing with the search for his father, even though it it centers around those very, very specific things. I think because of that, because of that specificity, it actually makes the emotional resonance universal you know it's yeah. like the more specific he is about the struggle that he's going through the more empathy i feel for him and the more yeah. i grow to to understand what he's all about yeah so that yeah. that's something that really stands out because it's it's also it also probably wasn't necessarily easy for him to to write such personal stuff i mean mm-hmm. of course it, we said it was semi autobiographical so i'm sure some of it is coded in a veneer of fiction, yeah. Maybe so the names are drama. changed. Yeah, there's a little more drama added, but I, I think it's it's still realistic enough. And uh, you know, I I think I probably just assume that the whole thing with Huntington's is real. Like that's probably yeah. the thing that feels the most real to me. If it's yeah. if that's something that was you know part of the fiction of it, then wow, that that's amazing. They to gotcha. To, <laughs> yeah, to make me believe in that. But in <laughs> a good way, right? Yeah, in a good way. In a good way. It's it's not yeah. like I don't think he's it's not it's not the same as telling a lie and uh, you know, pulling off a hoax to trick people about something, you know? Well,
2: but it, I mean, it's more just about
1: that... it's it's more about the magic of getting people to be immersed in your story.
0: Yeah. Well I was gonna say to some degree that's what it means to be a writer is your ability to use your words and your imagery and your symbolism to like be evocative, right? Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to some degree, they're all lying to us, but you know we we the test is whether we are able to buy into the lie or not. and in this case, it's you know um, if they succeed in the lie, then they've taken us on a journey uh, and I prefer that to if the lie succeeds, I ended up giving all my money to a Nigerian prince somewhere.
1: what if what if a highly touted professional writer wrote one of those letters to you and you bought into it so much that you ended up giving him all your money like what if neil gaiman wrote one of those if he wrote you a chain letter do you think it's possible that you could believe it and continue sending on that email to other people huh what if you know what there might be some people that are such
0: super fans of uh particular creators that they wouldn't mind at all uh being swindled out of their money i would not be one of those people in <laughs> okay. fact there are various people on kickstarter who have uh, not kickstarter but i forget what one of those sites where they've got legions of suckers that buy their stuff and uh you know it's not really so much about the quality of what they're doing but they want to believe the lie they want to feed into it so
1: yeah are you you thinking of indiegogo
0: oh yeah there we go that's what i was thinking of exactly so Mm -hmm. you know to those people that are willing to bankrupt themselves buying garbage i hope you enjoy your garbage
1: (laughs) (laughs) anything else you want to say about the craft of it's a bird
0: uh, no, I, I think we we adequately praised it, and I think it's a good opportunity to move on to the originality, because you know, those two things are pretty tied into one another.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, one more thing I did want to say about the craft. We already yeah. mentioned Todd Klein earlier as the letterer, but I, I did want to shout him out again, because there's a lot of different uh, fonts and stuff, fonts and typefaces used throughout the book and they always seem to fit the mood i think one of the most obvious ones is it's pretty simple it's a simple trick but anytime in the story when steven talks directly to the reader the word balloon is colored oh, uh, yeah. a different shade right yeah. and it it's uh, the same shade as a lot of the the narration uh, captions yeah. so yeah. i think it's it's pretty Pretty smart way of of doing that because I think uh other creators probably could have just gotten away with leaving all of the word balloons white. But for for him to specifically color those word balloons uh the same color as the narrative captions when Steven is talking to the reader, that that's something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then there's some other scenes here and there where uh, when the art style changes, uh, like take a look at page pages 41 and 42, for example, right? And it's like this whole scene where they're exploring the colors of Superman's costume. Mm-hmm. And you see these, uh, you know, it's, it's like a series of repetitive panels, but just with S- Superman in the same pose, but with different colors to uh, sh- show you what's going on. And there, the the lettering goes from your straightforward comic book lettering to, uh, you know, lower uppercase and lowercase letters and stuff. Uh, there's no boxes or captions. That's just like white uh, or behind the words. So, yeah, there there's something about that sequence where it's it's all talking about color, but there isn't even a black outline around the narrative captions. The the captions are just they're just white captions with the words written in them, you know, like there's just a whole bunch of variety throughout the book. And I, I think, yeah, just appreciating the lettering throughout the book, it, it's something where, uh, the variety of styles really stands out, um, as you go through the story. And, yeah. uh, I think the lettering does help affect the mood, especially in those scenes when, when they're examining various traits of Superman
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like another
1: one I'm looking at is on pages 21 and 22 when they're talking about the idea of Superman or Clark Kent as an outsider in society. And there the font is, it looks, I forget. I mean, I'm not good enough to identify specific fonts, but this one is a, a serif font that looks kind of like an old typewriter. Mm-hmm. And it, it fits the style of that kind of uh era you know like the 40s daily planet people are reporters in the background are banging on typewriters to write their stories yeah and that's how uh these words appear you know they're written they're they're st- written in that style uh in that font yeah almost like a report too because we're reading about clark it's interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: yeah these little vignettes are or not, I don't even know if vignette's the right word, but these little uh cutscenes or whatever are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like it, it takes a good amount of creativity to do so many different fonts for a single comic, you know? Most yeah. people don't have to think that hard to to do a comic. You tend to just use the same th- you, yeah, use the same thing throughout. But uh again, I don't know if this was something where he was directed to specifically come up with all these different fonts for all these different sequences, or if he just thought that was appropriate based on his, you know, experience and, and skill. But yeah, yeah, it it really works out. And, and that's, that's definitely a reason why he's one of the best in the industry. Yeah. It shows a real understanding of like comics as a visual like medium. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Just that thinking on such a high level where you know like you said in in most cases where the main character talks to the audience it's just this thing where it's like oh i'm just going to have him you know look to the camera or whatever right but having that extra detail really does guide guide the reader into uh, having almost more uh i guess footholds in, into what's what's happening right it mm-hmm. it really feels like they methodically plotted out all the various elements that they wanted to incorporate in order to make this really feel like an experience that was um that was giving you guidance on on how to best understand and read the comic
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah all right
1: okay you ready so to let's move
0: on to the originality
1: yeah so originality is one of our other criteria. And by that, we're just asking, is the comic creative and imaginative? Does it have something meaningful to say? So yeah. I guess you could think of originality as also uh creativity. They're pretty pretty uh hand in hand. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the originality of It's a Bird, Albert?
0: I think there are certainly two ways to look at it. I think on the one hand, if you just take it on its most basic uh on the faced uh approach you can say well it's it's a biography and we've seen biographies and you know that's one way to look at it it's it's certainly not the most nuanced way to approach it uh but i think if you look in the at the presentation it's certainly a very original piece of work we talked about that in the craft we talked about how much thought and effort was put into um you know showing various styles and communicating various uh themes um you know so I, I think it's very creative or very original in that way is just how much effort is shown is put into uh, providing you with just all this. I don't have any other word for it, but other than stimulus, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what about you?
1: What One what... of the things that jumped to mind when I was, rereading this comic was that uh, when when I was younger and I, I was taking various creative writing classes, one of the things that they used to always hammer into us was the idea that readers hate stories about how hard it is to write a story.
2: <laughs>
1: like they would always tell us, yeah, don't don't do stories where you talk about how hard it is to come up with the story because that's not interesting. Yeah. However, yeah, however, I think it's a bird shows that some rules can be broken. Yeah. Like definitely I understand where that rule comes from. Mm-hmm. But it again, it, it's not something that I would say has to be adhered to. Like you if you could come up with something like it's a bird, then it's yeah. I think it's totally fine and totally valid to come up with a story that involves struggling to write a story.
0: Yeah. Like I think overall, I'm not necessarily a fan of the idea of uh, thinking of story. You know, of 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 pigeonholing yourself into a place where there are stories you can't write. I, I I guess I look at it as more of a challenge, right? So it's the idea that you shouldn't write a story about not writing not being able to write a story is yeah i I think if anything that that's a call to arms to try to write a story about that and try Mm. to make that compelling you know it it's interesting that you bring that up because it reminds me of something like adaptation by uh charlie Mm. poppin i remember that one yeah i did watch that movie it's an excellent movie and the entire thing about that movie is it's a movie about a guy trying to rip write a script about a movie that he can't write a script for. Yeah. You know, how, <laughs> yeah. how meta and like insane is that? And, and the crazy thing is, you know, just on, based on that description, it sounds boring, but like when you watch it, it's, it's such a head trip and it's, uh, Nicolas Cage, right? He was, yeah, it's played him. Cage.
1: yeah, exactly. Pretty, pretty unusual choice. I think to play yeah. a script writer.
0: It's probably one of my favorite things from him. I mean, granted, I, I haven't watched a lot of his more his his newer or more recent
1: work. Wait, well, you you think adaptation is better than Ghost Rider?
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I think adaptation. Uh, his character in adaptation, Johnny adaptation, could beat up Ghost Rider. Yes. Uh, Nicholas adaptation, Cage. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. I think what makes It's a Bird work is the fact that Siegel avoids being overly self-indulgent or self-aggrandizing. Yeah, He presents his semi-fictional self with just the right amount of neuroticism to be entertaining without yeah. actually being annoying. I think yeah. sometimes people can, when they write themselves in, into their own comics, sometimes they can write themselves in a way where they're too quirky and it it sounds like they're trying really hard to present this version of themselves that isn't necessarily the most realistic, but maybe it's just that writer's idealized version of himself in his own mind. Yeah. And uh, that, that can be kind of annoying, but I think the way that Stephen T. Siegel does it here. Yeah. It's just the right amount of neuroticism to be entertaining without actually working me as a reader you know yeah it's not self-indulgent yeah it still feels like he's got his quirks and he's not certainly not a perfect hero in the comic yeah i don't think he portrays himself in a way that is always the most sympathetic portrayal yeah but he portrays himself with some flaws and warts and he does some things that would make you question why he did that yeah but it's also it also doesn't get into this region where you think, "Oh, this is just a terrible person or anything. It just makes you think this is potentially a real person, you know, like this is yeah. I can believe, that, yeah, I can believe that uh he would act this way in this situation, or I can believe that he would say this to his girlfriend because of all this other th- stuff that's going on in his life,
0: exactly exactly, I mean, I was gonna also mention that I think. It also helps that it's a it also helps that he has these bits and pieces uh throughout the story where again he he uses Superman as kind of a pause break to stop and contemplate what it is, is about Superman that connects to whatever it is that he's going through right it's it's um otherwise I could very well see a version of this story where it just becomes this really long 126 pages of oh woe is me like I'm sad because you Mm -hmm. know I'm dealing with this via this uh, potential disease but I'm also sad because I don't know how to write this story and you know let's just watch me being sad for 126 pages (laughs) yeah yeah that would be pretty hard to swallow it would and I think for a lot of people that's what you get that's what it ends up yeah yeah that's that's usually the worst case
1: scenario for a comics biography autobiographical comic
0: yeah it's again this the subject matter isn't necessarily the most spectacular um you know as as it's being presented to a comics audience but it's about finding ways to inject that level of stimulation so that you can engage yourself with, uh, the emotional core of the story, as well as, uh, Mm -hmm. whatever ideas are being presented, you know, it's making it digestible. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to say that this is a comic about the idea of Superman and Mm -hmm. what he means and represents by creatively presenting us with the fundamental core principles of the Superman character. It's a bird helps us understand how, superman works and what makes him appealing i think this is the kind of book that people who don't understand superman should read people who think that superman is lame because he can do anything should read this story and be educated you know Mm -hmm. people who think that superman is an outmoded and old-fashioned bundle of ideals that don't mean anything in today's world those people should read this and be educated yeah People who people think who that think he's corny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or people who think Superman should kill bad guys because that's what's realistic, yeah. you know? Yeah. P- those people should read this comic and be educated. This comic is really what Superman is all about. In recent years, with the upswing or or notoriety or maybe even popularity of stuff like Man of Steel by Zack Snyder or the Snyder Cut, like those kinds of emotional aesthetics have kind of surrounded superman and tainted him in my opinion yeah it's definitely not superman for him to to kill somebody but apparently it seems that there's a lot of people in the general population who support that interpretation of superman and and that's something that i find pretty bothersome it's i find that problematic and it's 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 something that's wrong with well, I, was, I was, I was actually gonna say it's, it's something wrong with society, but that might be too grandiose. But you know what? I'm gonna stick with it. It's, society How is about is something wrong with
0: comics fandom?
1: <laughs> Not just comics fandom. Yeah. Humanity. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, I'd happen to agree with that sentiment. Well, I mean, I agree that humanity is awful, but uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I was gonna say that. Um, it really felt like when you know Zack snyder did that where you know uh he had superman kill zod in in the movie Uh, maybe this is just an example where the loudest voices were just the ones that you couldn't ignore but it didn't feel like there were a lot of people who were like finally someone who got superman right someone who understands uh who who made superman modern made him fit in what what our real world is right now he's relevant again yeah exactly right but um yeah i i I think that absolutely misses the point if anything the core of what makes superman superman is that if anything in in a world as ugly and as uh violent and as uh dark as it is if anything he has to lean hard in the other direction you know Mm -hmm. it's uh it's this idea that if the world is an ugly place, then Superman really has to go above and beyond to prove that he's better than that, you know? Yeah. Um, Additionally, I'd also say that um, I remember watching this YouTube video about Superman and they had a lot of thoughts on on the Zack Snyder Superman, but one of the main things that I remember that they posited, and, and I do think it's been a while since I watched Batman v Superman or or any of uh, those um, Snyder uh, Superman movies. But there was uh, this interpretation of Superman as almost being godlike, right? Uh, like there's just a bunch of scenes where he's he kind of flies down as this almost godlike being. And he just kind of lords it over all these people and he's just there to be worshiped. And that's not Superman at all. You know? Yeah. It's it's it by leaning into how powerful he is and how far removed he is. Like, I think, you know, maybe this is my interpretation and if, if someone wants to uh, poo poo it or say that it's a, misunderstanding of it or it's just not something that resonates with them then whatever right but um i I, in my mind the idea that superman would be viewed as to the rest of the world as just this being that it's so removed from them because of just how powerful he is that like that's not that doesn't make sense to me like if anything Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that makes him I guess the thing that's at the core of him is that in spite of the superpowers he's more he's almost more human than any of us, you know? He yeah. he has more compassion than us and he he understands the burden of his power and the responsibilities that come with it and just what it means to to be good and do good and to be an example. Yeah. And and that's the problem is that people look at that and they think it's corny because you know, I don't want a boy Scout. I don't want someone lecturing me on how to be a better person or whatever. and you know what if I'm gonna go continue the the logical thread of this diatribe, like you know back to what you were saying about society as an issue <laughs> like I think that is the problem is that people are in this place now where they're tired of uh being told what's what's good and what's right, so now it's 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 no longer about. Uh, leading by morality or example as much as it is by you got going to take what you want in life, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, if there's another reason for me to uh, hate society, it's that it ruined Superman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I already had a pretty full list of uh, reasons, but there we go. <laughs> you can never have enough reasons. I agree. I agree. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, One of the other
1: elements of the story that I think is very unique is the exploration of Huntington's disease. So, Huntington's disease is something I didn't really know anything about until I read this comic. Did you? Were you familiar with it at all, Albert? Before this comic, I, wasn't,
0: I really wasn't. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll even take it to another level. I think. <laughs> Uh, there was a part of me that was like, "Is this even a real disease?" I had to like really look it up. I, I wasn't sure if it was just something he made up for, you know, yeah. for dramatic effect.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. From what yeah. I can tell, I, I think it's. It seems like it's fairly uncommon, but yeah. it's it is a real disease, and it's, uh, genetic. Uh, it's so for those of you who don't know what Huntington's disease is it's this neurodegenerative disease, uh, that starts off with the person kind of having these, uh, mental issues, whether it's like mood swings or just, uh, maybe a loss in their mental acuity. And then, uh, then it gets a little physical where the person starts to lose their coordination. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, at, at some point, uh, uh, these these involuntary movements start to happen and then yeah uh, talking could become hard and then uh, mentally as the thing progresses the person mentally degenerates into like dementia basically yeah. yeah and there's the scene towards the very end when steven finds his aunt who is in the later stages of huntington's and what we see is that she's lying in bed and she's conscious but She's sort of just twitching or or making these jerking movements and mentally, uh, she's not really there, Mm. you know, and it's a, it's a pretty, uh, you know, heartbreaking, heavy kind of scene to see someone that you care about fall into this state where they're technically still alive, but you can't really communicate with them because their, their mental faculties are no longer there. And yeah, it, it's, uh, it's hard to, hard to see, uh, even on a page. And, you know, you can just imagine what it would be like to endure that in, in reality. Yeah. So for the story to explore this, this disease, uh, very fascinating it is something that is not very common i think and it's also something that is genetically inherited so that's why uh we mentioned earlier when we were discussing the story a big part of the plot is about steven struggling with the idea that he could potentially not only get huntington's himself as he gets older yeah but he could potentially pass it on to the next generation if he ends up having kids with his girlfriend yeah, yeah. And, so yeah. it's heavy heavy stuff to explore
0: yeah i mean it's it's this funny like weird loop where on the one hand it's about it's a story about that explores generational trauma but at the same time, that generational trauma is also brought about by this disease that is passed down, you know. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not just limited to it, it. It studies it on like multiple levels, you know. It, it explores that general generational trauma as this actual physical thing, but also just this um, this kind of attitude that pervades, uh, you know, from father to son, because because a lot of the story is around you know the deep dark secrets that families have and just their behavior of one another and just the unspoken things that um that families keep from yeah from themselves
1: yeah i yeah. think that's another good uh story element you brought up the idea of the family not wanting people to to know about their huntingtons because mm-hmm. it is something that uh, is discussed within the story where i think steven and his family members uh, discuss how well oh, actually he, he even has their family what's that
0: it's a point of shame for their family yeah yeah it's there's a, point a, of a shame. moment where you know neighbors are asking and you know their their only answer is oh they have a heart heart condition or something you know it's, yeah it's pretty it's vague not, yeah it's not wanting to admit that you know this is how they spend you know and in its worst case this is how the the end of their days are, which is you're just shaking in bed with full loss of your mental faculties as well as your, uh, you know, uh, physical abilities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a point of shame that they don't really discuss with people outside of their family. And, and then there's, yeah, the... I... oh, oh, go ahead.
0: And I was going to say that it's, it's clearly something that affects him because so much of the story does revolve around the fact that he does not know how to talk to people in his life about it. Um, yeah. You know, it's one thing not being able to talk to your bosses or your friends, but you know, it, it gets to a point where it begins to affect his romantic relationships because the, you know, uh, his, his girlfriend is, you know, the, the, the person that he theoretically should be closest with isn't, really privy to this information and you know she just wants to know what's going on in his life which makes sense because you know they're um their partners they're they're with each other right mm-hmm. but his inability to talk about it just isolates him further from her and just causes this friction between them
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so yeah what were you gonna say sorry
1: Oh, I was just gonna talk about how he does have this one friend of his that he meets a friend, an old friend of his from film school, who writes a stage play, and it just so happens that this guy has the same issue that Huntington's runs in in his family too. Yeah. And he made he wrote a play about it, and he invites Stephen to go to go watch it, and after after the play, they have this conversation, and uh, if you have the book. It's on pages 121 and 122. But yeah, I thought that was a pretty poignant way to, I guess, not maybe not resolve the issue, but to come to some kind of conclusion at this point yeah. late in the story. It it's, feels like uh, it
0: gives him another like perspective on how to approach this disease because... One, he, he meets this person who, who has uh, a similar who has the exact same disease or the yeah. exact same fears that he does, right? Yeah. So it's this thing where watching this guy and how he deals with it, the fact that he puts it into a play that is out in the open for the world to see shows him that he he has another way to live. He doesn't have to he doesn't have to be the way he is, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the the two panels that really stand out are the two middle panels in page 122 where after the play he's talking to his friend and Stephen says, "It's great that you got this out there, that you're so okay with it." And then his friend says, "I'm not okay with it at all. It still freaks me out, but yeah. but ignoring something doesn't make it less real, you know? Yeah. Something isn't fiction just because you choose not to acknowledge it." And it seems like that exchange just gives Stephen this new perspective on looking at things and it sort of inspires him to do what he needs to do to to write his story and to uh, repair his relationship and just kind of be in this better mental and emotional state.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess one of the things that I can't help but discuss in, in talking about this is just how other people interpreted this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you know me and you talking about it. It feels almost obvious that this is a book with a lot of emotional depth, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, in in preparing for this podcast, you sent me some uh, some quotes. Just to uh, yeah, reviews, one star Amazon reviews.
1: Amazon user reviews, specifically exactly. of the one star variety. Yeah, <laughs>
0: always if, good if you, for a laugh. Exactly. If you really want to just engage yourself with just the the lowest of the lowbrow, that's where you go to the one star reviews. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it, you we used to assume that it was a tool uh, meant to do good, meant to be helpful, but it really it's 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 where the worst and dumbest takes come uh rear it rears its ugly head you know <laughs> yeah you you
1: want to share some of them with the good people listening
0: oh man let me let me pull it up so there's this one guy uh he's just called michael p he gave it one star and his review was titled just an absolute waste of time and money and it goes one of the most pointless stories of all time just an absolute waste of time and money do you want to read a story about superman or an ungrateful author who doesn't even like Superman. <laughs> it's like, this guy... I, like, I feel like this guy walked into the store and saw this comic, and he was like, oh, cool, a Superman comic, and decided to pick it up, and when Superman wasn't punching someone, he got upset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just such a dumb take, and it's just like it's it's this it's the sort of thing where I just want to be where I kind of wish I was in the same room as well i I wish I was in the same room with the dude, and I don't wish I was in the same room <laughs> with the dude because yeah. I wish that I was in the same room with him because I'd want to be like you didn't you weren't moved at all by the emotional journey that this guy went on and like you know him dealing with um this this disease in his life that that meant absolutely nothing to you and i don't want to be in the same room with him because i'd be too tempted to spit in his face <laughs> 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 oh gosh people <laughs> um yeah it's, it's i don't i yeah i really don't and and the fact that his take on it was this guy was so ungrateful because so much of the story revolves around the fact that he got offered a chance to write Superman and all he could do was moan about how he doesn't get Superman and he doesn't understand Superman. And there's no interpretation of this, to this guy where it's like, you know what, have, have you ever considered that in his journey to understand Superman, it was him finding a way to understand whatever anxieties were, uh, were affecting him in his life. Like, mm-hmm. so in a way, Superman transcended transcended comics in that he went beyond uh, helping this guy by helping him solve his problem without having to actually physically be there and saving him from metallo or something you know it's it's the idea that the idea of superman is so powerful that it was able to save help this guy save himself and Mm -hmm. On some level that's that's more true to the spirit of Superman than hey, did you see Superman beat up doomsday that's <laughs> That's a true Superman story, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I rag on this guy, <laughs> like what did he expect
1: picking up this book?
0: yeah, right? It's just oh, I hate how emotionally immature some people are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want what to try another got for review? Me. Uh, okay. This guy's name—he, his, his account titled himself the Jonas Brothers mom. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm assuming it's uh a, a, a woman. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Uh, she gave it one star and titled it horrible. Everything about this graphic novel seems half-assed. From the artwork to the story, the artwork is painfully scribbled, and the story is a bit of a cop out. Siegel gets assigned to write a graphic novel about Superman, but instead, he writes one about how much he doesn't want to write about Superman. Uh. If you want to read a memoir, try Alison Bechtel's Fun Home or Craig Thompson's Blankets. The storytelling is way more compelling. I was just like, uh, uh, jeez. It's just. Scribbles on paper, Albert. Yeah, right. It's like
1: scribbles on paper. I'm, it's not art. It's scribbles.
0: Yeah, it's. <laughs> and for someone who, uh, you know, uh, just looking at uh, the stuff that base did cite, it, it sounds like, you know, on paper that they're, they're they'd be open to more imaginative and creative writing. This person was co- just completely missed the point altogether. Yeah, And the final one is just by T. He gave it one star and his title was Awful. I feel lesser for having read this comic book. I was hoping for different takes on Superman, but all I got was a whiny, self-important diatribe on Huntington's disease. If I wanted to ride read a whiny self-important diatribe on Huntington's disease. I would have picked up a comic entitled A Whiny Self-Important Diatribe on Huntington's Disease. I hate this guy already. I hate this guy so much. Um I feel that somebody needs to refund me the time I wasted on this garbage. Oh, and let's not forget his jab that people that don't support illegal immigration are racist, you know, because Superman is an illegal alien. Get it? <laughs> what a buffoon. This guy is a buffoon uh i just uh and and just the repetition of a whiny diet self-important diatribe on Huntington's disease it's every story comes from some perspective and if that's not even a, a, a starting point that you can agree on if, if literally uh all you want is just a a, a comic book that is essentially rock and robots where superman is just standing in a ring trading punches with someone uh, there, there's plenty of that in the world. You know, you yeah. By, by all means, there's a whole lot of garbage for you. You, you go read Spawn, okay? Just go, <laughs> go enjoy Spawn. All right, like. Uh, and, and you know what? Reading that part about how you know this is a di- uh, you know this is a comic book that that has jab against people that don't support illegal immigration. Like I had to really think about what this guy was talking about when he mentioned that and. It's not something that made any sense to me at all. Um, like the only reference that I really found was there's a, a, a couple of, of panels where he reviews Superman as an alien and reviews Superman as an outsider, things like that, right? Where you know it's yeah, these are things. It's another elements, element.
1: It's another element of the character to explore. Exactly right. And
0: Stephen uh, Siegel even goes um, the extra added step of giving some additional context where he mentions that oh um the people that created superman uh joe simon and uh siegel right his name was siegel too right
1: siegel and schuster oh siegel and schuster like yeah the thing jerry about Wim- siegel and joe schuster but jerry siegel's last name is spelled differently from Stephen t siegel's name
0: i think it's spelled with i right
1: yeah yeah i e g s i e g e l and
0: the thing that um, you know Stephen T. Siegel puts in uh, is that he talks about how their experiences as immigrants, you know, escaping uh, war-torn Europe, uh, it, it they incorporated elements of the immigrant experience into Superman's backstory because he came to Earth, not only Earth, but to America as a person fleeing as a being fleeing uh devastation at home and you know I, I i can't say exactly that that's what they were writing about when they wrote superman right but mm-hmm. it it makes a lot of sense uh knowing what their backgrounds and their experiences are but to look at that and to interpret that as oh these guys think that we're evil for hating illegal immigration how how can how dare they uplift uh the immigrant story um you know and you feel like a terrible person well maybe the problem is you're a terrible person <laughs> have you ever thought about that like because nobody was reading anything into it like you were the one who read that and that was your takeaway so maybe maybe some self-reflection is a little necessary for you t yeah wherever you are out there you didn't even have the balls to put your whole name down you just put one letter you witless sack of crap
1: <laughs> i give this person t i give him one star <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I give hope, all these
1: people one star.
0: Seriously, I I hope T, uh, I hope your parents are dr- drastically ashamed of you. <laughs> uh, you coward. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of what you mentioned about um writing classes, it's funny when I was reading this, uh, I I, I did think back to a memory that I had about one writing class that I had. And um, I remember I wrote a, I guess I wrote a scene. I was, it was kind of, yeah, it was just a scene. It, like, you know, just something that I was uh, toying around with. And I remember we did um, this exercise where you had to write the scene and then you passed it around to people in your in your group, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, my scene was. I think I, I was taking inspiration from something like *Waiting for Godot*, where it was, um, you know, kind of just a scene where two people are in this blank environment and just kind of talking to each other, right? And it's, it was exactly that. It was exactly, it was a, it was a scene about a person wanting to write but not knowing what to write about, right? and um i didn't really name the characters i just put down like you know character one and like his friend is what i put and the the entire scene consisted of this guy having aspirations but then this other person uh just kind of denigrating him and just kind of being negative about it right yeah and i think the catharsis for me was that this other person also kind of represented what was going on in my head like all the insecurities and the uncertainties that i was feeling about like wanting to write but not being able to write you know yeah. and i remember passing it around to like the people in the group and there were there were some people who were kind of fascinated by the um the the interactions but i remember there was this one person who was just like why is this guy's friend such a dick he just sounds like a bad friend <laughs> like he completely missed <laughs> What I was trying to go for, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that just goes to show that inter- interpretation, like, can very easily become lost in translation, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's a lot of uh, people who who just kind of, I think their maybe their personality or perhaps yeah. their worldview yeah, totally. colors how they interpret something that would otherwise be uh pretty evident or obvious or even innocuous to most other people
0: yeah it's a pretty singular um worldview it doesn't really invite a lot of nuance or it doesn't even feel like it takes the time to stop and go and ask itself like what what exactly is happening in in this in 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 what i'm consuming right now right yeah it's this very like on the surface interpretation of what's happening and yeah, it's you know that maybe that's just how some people are, but I I think they miss out on something by not asking themselves these questions. You should ask yourself these questions about what you're reading. Totally. It it reminds me of another uh, uh it's a story about a, a friend of ours, and I remember uh I, I was talking about like some movie or something like that, and we were just having this conversation, and he. He was completely not engaging in that in in that uh discussion he what, what did movie not was it? it? I don't remember exactly what movie, but it was just one of those where you know where it was like we were talking about it and we were just kind of examining the the different levels and I think at one point he just kind of get got fed up with me and he he essentially said-I forget exactly what he was saying, but he said something to the effect of I think people who look at entertainment that way they're just as uh ridiculous as people who think that the earth is flat or something like that. You know? <laughs> I'm
1: like, guessing he doesn't listen to our podcast then. He he doesn't.
0: I mean but I mean the the, the main difference being that works of art are meant to be interpreted. They're meant they're, they're there's an element of vagueness to it. You know, there's uh I, I mean unless you're a the kind of artist who feels like they got to tell you everything right but Mm -hmm. even so it's it's open for discussion that's the point of it the earth being flat is not a discussion yeah (laughs) you know it was such a it was such a like dismissive response i I was i wanted to slap him
1: why didn't you (laughs)
0: Uh, because you know violence uh although tempting is not always the answer
1: (laughs) that's true but sometimes it is the answer
0: (laughs) you've convinced me it didn't
1: take much. <laughs> we're going to pause the podcast momentarily so that Albert can drive over, drive over to this over guy's to his house. house. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So did you want to discuss the impact of this comic? Sure. So by impact, we're asking what sort of lasting influence did the comic have? Did it leave a mark within the DC universe or on the industry or on pop culture? Do mm-hmm. fans remember it with affection? Yeah, and I guess the uh, straight answer to that question is I don't think it left much of an impact.
0: I would happen to agree. Like we, for I mean we have uh, hindsight on this one, or you know we have the 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 presence, uh, as as something that we can use to determine this, or the present as something that we can use to determine this, and this being something that was, would you say, came out in 2004? yeah um, in the years since uh, like i said it's 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 pretty obvious that this isn't something that too many people think of or really talk about you know um maybe it's fair to say that somewhere out there there are people who who read this and um were influenced by it maybe there's some there there's a couple of handful of writers that that bring that talent to them uh to what they're writing but if there is i I don't know or i can't tell off the top of my head
1: yeah it's yeah. not something i hear too many people talking about either i think yeah. the one other time that uh i recall hearing people discussing it was uh last year i was listening to an episode of this podcast called vertigo voices
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh they ended up doing an episode on on this comic. Yeah. So yeah. I think people who who follow Vertigo and, you know, just good DC comics in general probably would remember this if they were around when it came out or if they just explored the backlog of Vertigo. Yeah. But as far as the general public goes, it's probably been forgotten, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason that we felt the need to make it an honorable mention because you know as much as it pains us that it didn't make it to the top 25 of marvels i mean dc comics it's it's clearly a great work and it deserves more accolades and attention than it's gotten over the years and yeah we wanted to 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 give it praise and you know hopefully um the people that listen to us are the kind of people who would get something out of reading this you know so um yeah we we we, you know we we task ourselves with bringing the flame of enlightenment to the masses (laughs) if not the masses then at least the people that listen to us yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i think the fact that uh this didn't make our official top 25 list it's no diminishment to the actual quality of the work this is Easily just as good as the other comics that made our final list yeah. in terms of the quality of the comic. Yeah, it's just that if we're if we're grading things based on our criteria, then when it comes to impact, this specific criteria, yeah. it's a bird. Just didn't get enough points there. But yeah, like to me that that doesn't really matter because I think this comic is just as good as anything else out there that DC has yeah. put out.
0: Who knows? Maybe because of this podcast, it, it'll rocket to number one. And, you know, in five years, if we reevaluate our list, it'll it'll, you know, we'll, we'll see a slew of artists uh, and creators that read it and were <sighs> inspired to to do so many comics uh, where 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 the influence was apparent. Right. So what if hey.
1: what if in like. 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, when they reboot the DC universe movies (laughs) and somebody makes a Superman movie, that's a rejection or a repudiation (laughs) of the Zack Snyder stuff. And that director says, when I was young, I read this comic called It's a Bird and that helped me understand what Superman's all about. And he's not about killing people's dreams or killing people physically or (laughs) anything like that. He's about inspiring (laughs) hope.
0: Uh, I like that i I want that that if that was the version of Superman that we had gotten I would have wanted wanted that by far <laughs> for sure any Wait, the day Superman, of
1: the, the Superman huh? that kills dreams
0: Wait, I thought you said that it doesn't he doesn't kill dreams this inspired him to write a superman that doesn't kill dreams yeah yeah
1: the opposite of Zack snyder that's what i'm saying yeah that's what i was saying is like i would have wanted that by far i mean that's that's
0: my ideal version of superman is if if you had said that there's a director out there who wants to do a version of superman for the movies that's based on the principles that were presented in it's a bird that is definitely the version of superman that i would have wanted over what we did get you know yeah
1: yeah that that would be pretty cool not not that i say not that i'm saying that a movie would justify the impact of the comic but i think that would be a good step towards more public recognition for what this comic conveys and communicates
0: and you know what talking about it now like again back to us harping on society but <laughs> <laughs> i i think that's it's yeah i mean that it becomes a question of like well at at one point is it a matter of what if this is just uh uh an indicator of what the people want right what if this is just if this is the superman that speaks to them and this is the superman they want then what does it say about us as a people and yeah like right like it just means think about what that actually says it, it says that uh yeah we do not want we do not believe in compassion we do not believe in justice we don't you know like i what we're seeing is we want people who want you know characters that are more that take action characters that are you know judge jury and executioner. characters that uh have their power and wield it with an iron fist you know Mm -hmm.
2: and
1: Mm
0: -hmm. i don't know like what's wrong with compassion what's wrong with like leadership what's wrong with hope
1: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah just just reminds us of that other man of action comic by joe kelly uh, in Action Comics, when he was writing Superman in uh, Action Comics seven seventy five, right? What's yeah. so funny about Truth, Justice, and the American Way? Yeah,
0: it's a great Superman story. Like one yeah, of my that
1: that comic is a repudiation of all the worst interpretations yeah. of what a hero is. Meaning yeah. that Superman, you know, it, it's a rejection of the idea that Superman would make more sense if he killed all the bad guys. Yeah. And it's, let it's me clarify it's a repudiation yeah. of the Zack Snyder uh Superman stuff before yeah. Zack Snyder ever made those movies. Exactly.
0: If anything Zack Snyder leaned into that aesthetic where Yeah. I'm guessing so he like, either never read that point.
1: comic or he read the comic and got the opposite uh yeah. Op the the wrong lesson from it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know and i t- just to clarify like I, I i read all sorts of comics and you know there's a type of comic like that that i do enjoy right i'm not saying that those are stories that i'm completely against but i yeah, just don't I'm think i'm against that them all when, comics...
1: when they use superman to tell them yeah. stories
0: yeah and i'm against them when um i'm against the idea that all all characters should be that too right like it's mm-hmm i i do think that there's value in you know again if if storytellers are really just people who are working their craft to evoke feelings from us and to inspire ideas then sure i'm fine with um the things that i do like but mm-hmm. uh you know as as a conscientious reader you should be able to expose yourself to more than just that right you like yeah i i get it junk food is delicious um you know i i go to taco bell all the time so yeah i'm not i'm not guilty i, I mean i'm not innocent of that for sure but uh you 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 want to try to widen your uh exposure you want to yeah exactly you want to at least try to widen your exposure right so yeah totally yep
1: well let's get to our final criteria which is withstanding the test of time so what we mean by that is we're asking is the comic something that holds up today outside of the context of its original publication is it something we could read over and over again in the future
0: i my short answer is yes absolutely if anything it's more relevant (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, again, we, we've the the theme of the show, uh, you know. I, okay, so one uh, the 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 primary story about dealing with family trauma and dealing with uh, disease that's a pretty universal story, and that's that's something that doesn't get old, and those feelings are should be relatable to everyone right so i don't see that as the kind of story that people are incapable of identifying with so that on its own already makes it something timeless and something that you can read there's nothing in here where it's like you know um they've cured huntington's disease this means absolutely nothing to me now (laughs) you know it's it's even without that, it's you know people still read books about love in a time of cholera or something or whatever. So like these are still things that have relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what it has to say about Superman, like again, this is a thing where uh, because of the prevalent attitude of uh, the current state of Superman and just the world, how the world views him, this is a thing where i think you need a comic like this more than ever because it needs to it, it's the sort of thing that acts as a reminder to people that hey superman is you know he's good there's nothing wrong with being good and not being a vindictive bastard mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so yeah
1: he t- he's a character that just points towards hope he yeah. brings he brings hope to people who read his stories and I, th- I think when superman stories are done well that is probably yeah. one of the underlying elements of the best superman stories
0: yeah and mind you like when when they were trying to do a lot of those uh when they were trying to redo uh superman and uh you know they were there was i don't know if people remember this but there was that brief period of time where they were trying to respond to critics and, you know, like they began injecting more hope, quote unquote, into Superman, right? So Wait, they. What, went... what,
1: when was this? What are you referring to?
0: I want to say, uh I, I think after Man of Steel, a lot of people were like. The movie? Oh, yeah. After Man of Steel, the movie, a lot of people were, were talking about it and they were like, oh, Superman really didn't care about all the people that died in those buildings and yeah seemed like a nice guy so there there was this attempt or at least from uh you know batman v superman it felt like there was this attempt to make superman more hopeful right so there was even you know uh there there might be some people who might look at certain scenes where they go Hey Superman's hopeful. Uh, you know, he there's that scene where he looks at his chest and he goes, "This symbol stands for hope." blah 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 and I, <laughs> it just feels
1: so shallow, you know? So tr- hollow. That's pretty empty. Great. Right? Yeah. Do you remember that scene where they were like Now this- I remember it. I yeah. have I had forgotten it until you brought it
0: up. Yeah, where the guy was where um what's his name? Uh the actor Henry Cavill? Yeah, where Henry Cavill was like, "On my planet, this this symbol means hope." And you know, for that to be like, see, he's hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just. He might like have a... killed
1: hundreds or thousands <laughs> of people in this battle that destroyed yeah. city blocks, and the only way he was able to defeat his enemy was by killing Zod. But <laughs> other than that, he's a pretty hopeful guy, he's man. Super hopeful, super hopeful. Yeah. 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 It just feels
0: like such a, such a throwaway line, <laughs> you know, just to be yeah. like, it yeah, it really see, means he's nothing. Yeah. See, hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah that's um yeah so I, I think what it lacks in impact it 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 certainly makes up for in its ability to withstand the test of time and uh really the other the other criteria as well you know so, like there's Absolutely. so much of this comic to to just love and to to ponder
1: yeah there there were so many scenes in the comic that we could have picked out and and just like read the dialogue and described and pointed out like why that's such a cool little moment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we just don't have time for, for all that because we'd we'd be here all, all day uh, recording this podcast. It's already pretty long. We already record pretty long episodes. Yeah. But uh, you know, I also think that would kind of spoil maybe uh, a little bit of the discovery. If you haven't read this comic yourself, hopefully we've we've told people enough about it or described it well enough to encourage people to seek it out if they haven't read it yet absolutely but uh yeah I, I really like it too, man, and like you were saying like i all I can do is just echo all the points that you were just saying in terms of how it withstands the test of time it's uh yeah more relevant than ever, and I think even as time passes on, it will continue to maintain that status and probably even grow in its stature because the exploration of Huntington's disease and his own you know personal journey there that's a pretty timeless story in and of itself even yeah. uh without superman involved but putting superman into the mix there's this uh additional layer um there's with, an additional
0: layer of meaning.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how he how the creators present Superman in this book, it's something that will always be relevant because Superman I won't I won't say he's completely immutable through the years, but there are certain core fundamental concepts about Superman that I think will be true no matter yeah. what time period we're in. Adam mullet. Yeah, <laughs> so so don't tell me he can't
0: change. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, he can certainly change, but there are certain <laughs> fundamental truths to Superman that yeah. will remain constant over time. So he can we can be reading this comic a man when... bun, or
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or uh, a perm, or. or or whatever but as long as he doesn't kill then he's still superman
1: in my book exactly exactly (laughs) 30 40 years from now we could pick this up and we'll still recognize what superman is all about you know yeah
0: yeah and yeah it's it's just my hope that people recognize that and that you know I, i i do feel like these things tend to come in waves and maybe Maybe, uh, you know, the, the idea of a violent Superman or an angry Superman is something that passes, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to live in a world where, uh, the primary version of Superman is angry dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't need at that. All. Yeah. I don't need that. Uh
1: So, Albert, let me ask you something. What would you recommend to people who enjoyed It's a Bird?
0: Uh, The one comic that came to mind was a comic called Too Cool to be Forgotten by Alex Robinson. He's someone that we've seen, we've discussed on this podcast before. He did... um, uh what was that one comic that we did the episode we did uh Box Office
1: Poison Box Office Poison
0: exactly and so he's you know he's a known quantity to us and you know you should go check out that ex- episode if you haven't um but it's a story about uh an older man who Too cool to be who, forgotten Yeah too cool to be forgotten is a story of an older man who's uh, later on in years and he goes to a hypnotist to uh you know to sort to basically deal with his smoking problem but uh i'll I'll try to not give away too much but uh you know because of things happening hijinks ensue and uh, as a result he he goes on a journey of discovery through his past where he he deals with some unreconciled family issues and uh yeah and and that's yeah, I, I think thematically it's it's got similar concepts and themes that were uh, explored in It's a Bird. So I yeah, that's that's probably my recommendation.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? I've got a few. So first of all, I would pick Dark Knight: A True Batman Story by Paul Dini, Eduardo Rizzo, and Letters by Todd Klein. So that's Dark Knight, uh, just spelled with an N, uh, you know, like the time of day, not Dark Knight Returns or anything. But uh, it's that's a story that was also published by Vertigo. And similar to It's a Bird, uh, Paul Dini uh, worked on the Batman character, and it's a story that explores his relationship to Batman in a difficult period of time in his life, mm-hmm. because he was the main writer on Batman the animated series in the 90s and there was a a period or a point uh, during the production of that series when he basically got assaulted while walking home one night and uh, suffered some uh, pretty severe injuries and just emotional trauma from being attacked by muggers and uh, it's a story that deals with some heavy traumatic issues and also deals with how he relates to the fictional character that he writes Mm. so yeah that that's a good piece of work and it's another vertigo comic uh vertigo graphic novel another comic i would recommend and this one is written by joe casey one of stephen t siegel's compatriots in man of action but the comic is autopilot by joe casey and sean phillips and this is a pretty obscure comic it's a short story Autopilot is a short story that you can find in this long-forgotten Dark Horse anthology called Reveal, issue one. So it's autobiographical, uh, very similar to to this one, and it explores the creative process. Because at the time, Joe Casey was also writing another Superman comic, uh, Adventures of Superman. And he was writing some other comics like X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, and wildcats volume two so it it explores the creative process and what he was going through uh mentally and emotionally this is like right around the time of of 9 11 and he was like thinking about is it what's even the point of like writing these kind of stories when like all the serious stuff is happening in in life Mm -hmm. um and it also deals with the tension between uh who he was writing for and from what i remember it's it deals with the ideas of writing for oneself writing for one's employer to you know to please the publisher or writing to please the fans so like there's that three-way tension uh that comes into play i think it's pretty insightful and interesting and sean phillips is just an awesome artist who was also drawing his wildcats comics at the time yeah yeah and finally for people who want to experience a good Superman story, definitely just got to go with All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely, and Jamie Grant. It's a good summation of the hopeful qualities that are conveyed throughout. It's a bird and yeah, I would if you just want a straight up Superman comic, to, you got to start with All-Star Superman. Yeah, yeah. And just for uh, reference's sake, if you want to read Stephen T. Siegel's actual run on Superman, he wrote Superman issues 190 to 200, plus the 10 cent adventure one shot. Uh, he he and Christensen also reunited in Superman Batman number 75 for a story titled "It's a Bat." Huh. And <laughs> <Okay>. Teddy Christensen <laughs> had his own personal spotlight comic in Solo number eight, which I mentioned earlier. That's another one. That's Totally worth reading. And Siegel and Christensen have also collaborated on various other comics together. Uh, The big ones probably be House of Secrets, which was also from Vertigo. And I believe it was recently reprinted in an Omnibus collection. And they also did a comic called Genius, which is a graphic novel published by First Second. They've got some other stuff together, but those are probably the two that uh, I recognize uh, from from their their names
0: mm-hmm. nice those are some good wrecks you you definitely had a lot to offer and there's a, a lot of good stuff there to explore so we only hope that you guys our listeners have uh you know take it upon yourself to check these out because they're definitely worth worth reading if you want good stories um yeah. If anyone has anything that they want to contribute to the conversation, feel free to hit us up at between the gutters at gmail dot between the gutters podcast at gmail dot com. Or you can go ahead and hit us up on our Instagram. You know, feel free to slide into our DMs. Just slip in and slide in, slide in, and slipping and sliding, sliding in it, slipping and in in our DMs. And uh, you know, at uh, Between the Gutters at uh on Instagram. Uh you can hit us up at Between the Gutters on Twitter. Um yeah uh we we have our link tree up on our instagram so you can see all of the various ways that you can experience
1: us that's right and next week i think what we have coming up is most likely an autopsy for thor love and thunder assuming that we get a chance to watch it uh if that doesn't happen then i guess it'll be a surprise (laughs) (laughs) but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> otherwise right. that's uh, on the radar for the next episode thanks for listening everybody this is Between the Gutters signing off peace bye guys Albert what up do you have any predictions for love and thunder
0: oh man do I predict that there will be love and or thunder I don't know that's it's kind of a huge ask Uh, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you know what I I have faith in Waikotaititi Waikotaititi I'm terrible with this isn't his name Taika Tyka YTT.
1: <laughs> now you're making yes. me confused.
0: No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just pulling it from memory. And I think my memory is uh, classically uh, uh, full of holes. So okay. you're right. It's, you know what? It's also kind of late. So there we go. So it's Taika. You're right. It's Taika. Now, the more that I say it, the more I realize that that's what it is.
1: <laughs> okay, we wait. are recording this at. 4:30 30 a.m in the morning and albert has been awake for 47 hours consecutively yeah
0: yeah i mean when you do that much cocaine it's uh <laughs> it's it's quite the journey it's uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i no longer feel things in the tips of my fingers
1: <laughs> do you think there will be any what what do you predict the post credit scene will be Ooh,
0: shoot let's say that i don't even know man like morbius jared (laughs) little shows up as morbius and says look guys i just want you to know i'm really sorry for that whole morbius fiasco so morbius out morb morb out it's morbid time. It's morbid time. <laughs> <laughs> now I want that post-credits scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> do you think that this movie will touch on Jane Foster's cancer, or do you think they'll save that for the sequel?
0: Uh, I th- I think they'll. Uh, I don't know. Like if they want to slow play it. For maximum effect, I I I imagine that they'd save it for the next movie, or or like tease tease the idea of it in this movie. But Mm I don't know. I I I think part of me just wants them to just go for it. You
1: know, in this movie? Well,
0: no. You know what? I'd be fine with it if they they played it out and just kind of let you know that something's wrong with her, but you're not sure quite what. You know?
1: Yeah. I actually kind of hope that happens. I'd I'd want a sequel that's dedicated to her struggles Dealing with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sounds good. I'm 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 about that.
1: Yeah, I think it would work for me if this movie just has her, you know, fighting alongside Thor and doing all that other stuff uh alongside alongside him and his allies. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we do get some hints that you know something is not perfectly well with her health. Yeah, perhaps, exactly. Yeah, and perhaps one of the end credit scenes will be her checking into chemo or something. Yeah, yeah. I think now that, you that would work it, That for makes me. sense. Yeah, yeah.
0: That, that makes more sense. I, I
1: want I want them to be able to draw out the story and and yeah. really get people. Make savor
0: it.
1: Yeah, like really yeah. get people t- uh, to care that that Jane Jane is Thor, and then yeah. uh, show that you know why she deserves to wield Mjolnir yeah, and then at the yeah. at the end of the next or at the in the next story then you you can explore um the cost of heroism that she's going yeah. through you know yeah then in the end credits
0: scene the doctor turns out to be Jared Leto as Morbius
1: oh let me give you a blood transfusion yeah he goes Jane, I'll make you a living I'm vampire
0: <laughs> Jane I'm sorry you've got cancer but you know what? It's Morbin' time! <laughs> no, I want that to happen. And then, and then he Morbs away the cancer.
1: <laughs> Can Morbius consume blood that has cancer cells in it?
0: think so i thought that was the idea of him i mean uh, well okay the idea of him was he sucked but the, the <laughs> other idea of him was that he could cure that you know his blood cured a whole bunch of stuff but the the, the cost of it was his humanity
1: i see i see
2: yeah
0: yep